Hey, this is Burke. And I swear sometimes, so listener's question is advised. So in this side quest episode, I'm going to talk about vampire folklore. And I'm going to use a couple examples. I'm not going to go too crazy with it. I'm actually going to use three things from folklore that are the epitome of vampires. And there's a good reason for that. Partly because I'm tired of talking about them, but uh, it's mostly because they vary so wildly per country and like area. It's kind of funny how different they are from where we actually like envision vampires. What's funny is a lot of these kind of vampires actually resemble like demons and a lot of them are female. One of the articles I read actually compared them to succubi, but I did my best to find some that were a little bit different than what you would expect for vampire folklore. So one of them is pretty on the nose, but this first one's probably gonna make you laugh. So this first one I'm actually gonna take from Australia. This creature is called the Yara Mayahu and it's found in Aboriginal folklore or well, their mythology. And yes, I had to look up how to pronounce that. Okay, after 15 times trying to pronounce that name again, I'm just going to call it the creature. So this creature is a red frog-like man who actually hides in trees. And unlike regular vampire folklore, this thing hunts during the day. It's said this creature is red. It has a large mouth. It doesn't actually have any teeth, though. And it has suckers on the ends of its hands and feet. See, this creature likes to hide in fig trees and wait for unsuspecting victims to come underneath them. Then it falls down and uses its suckers to drain the blood from its victim. And after it's done, it actually swallows the victim and then drinks some water. And then it takes a nap. And when it awakens, it actually just throws up the victim and then it does it again. And every time it swallows the victim and pukes it back up, the victim is smaller and smaller. And then eventually it turns into a Yaramayehu. I actually got it that time. Apparently, according to the legend, the Yaramayehu is only active during the day and only hunts living targets. So playing dead until sunset is something that people used to think to do to avoid getting killed by this thing. Okay, for this one, we're actually going to talk about a creature from Romania. I know, where they would actually consider having, hey, this is where vampires are from. And we're going to actually talk about the Strigoi. Hey, something I can actually pronounce. See, the Strigoi actually kind of lines up more towards the traditional vampire folklore. They are spirits that have risen from the grave and can only be kept alive by drinking the blood of the living. Another part of that lines up with vampire folklore is that they can transform into animals and they can turn invisible. We can go back to the naming episode and Strigoi actually just means one who has risen from the grave. Told you, people aren't that creative. Something that actually varies from the vampire folklore is um, there's a story about a man that comes from the grave and like visits his family and visits other people and they end up dead like the next day after that happens. Well, the villagers actually find out where the guy has been buried and they try to stake the man and he's unable to be staked. They then find out that they can actually cut his head off using a saw. Apparently, after the story got out, they took precautions against certain types of people to try to stop this from happening. Apparently, it was a belief that the Strigoi could be made from like a red-headed person. I wonder if that counts for red beards. Maybe I have to be put through that. But they would do things such as nailing the coffin shut and like already staking the corpse <laughs> before he was buried. It's kind of fucked up if you actually ask me about this whole thing. Now, if they suspected somebody of being a Strigoi that was already dead, they would go and dig up 
the corpse, cut out their heart, cut it in two, put a nail in their forehead, and then put a clove of garlic in their mouth. Yeah, this shit gets kind of crazy, huh? Oh, and I forgot. They'd also place, place the body facing downwards because they believed that when it woke up, it would just go straight to hell. All right. Here's the last one. See, this one comes from the Philippines. In the Philippines, this thing is called the Menonangal. God, I picked like the worst ones to like pick. I swear the Strigoi was the only easy one to actually say. So this creature, because I'm never going to be able to repeat that name ever again, what makes this thing different from the other ones is it can detach its torso from its body. And then it goes around flying with bat-like wings out of its back. Apparently the thought with this thing is that it preys on pregnant women and it uses its elongated tongue to eat the baby, basically. Like regular vampire tales, this thing apparently has an aversion to salt, garlic, and holy water. Apparently, its one weakness is its lower half when it's detached, and apparently rubbing salt, garlic, or holy water all over the lower half of the torso is lethal to the creature. <laughs> I mean, some of the shit is just out there, isn't it? All right, I'm not a folklore podcast. We do talk about folklore from time to time. It helps with building your worlds and stuff, especially when you can take from folklore. But... I'm not going to talk about any more of them. There's so many more. I didn't want to forget about the vampires, the masquerade people. See, if I was running a game like that nowadays, like a modern day vampire game, I don't think I would run it like the Underworld series. And hear me out. I mean, if you want to run leather clad goths going through hunting werewolves in the streets and in the underground, more power to you. But for me, I think I would run it more like their corporations. I still would have covens within these corporations, but really you'd want something to be the face of your organizations and you wouldn't want to be noticed. Like, I think a pharmaceutical company would make a great cover for a vampire coven. See, I really like, like, the Daybreakers style where, well, I mean, vampires have infested all of society with Daybreakers, but I would take parts from that, right? See, they're not going to be that much different from you and me, especially, like, recently turned vampires, right? I believe there would still be, like, the old guard, but I believe that you would still need to bring in new blood constantly. So it would make sense to constantly bring in new vampires, and it would help them integrate in society more and more and more as time went on. We saw a little bit like this in uh, Interview with the Vampire or Queen of the Damned. We kind of addressed that a little bit. Personally, if I was running a Vampires the Masquerade game, like, my starting zero session would be the party is waking up in a hostel. They're on vacation somewhere and they're they were staying in a hostel, like all of them. And they wake up in the middle of the night and they are vampires. There's no explanation why they're vampires, but there is a business card with an address on it. And let's say they're in downtown LA. And the business card takes them to a building that's actually been ransacked. All the glass doors have been busted off their hinges and there's nobody in sight. So they check the back of the card. It tells them what floor they need to go to. And so they take an elevator. They try to take an elevator down. The elevator is disabled because there isn't any power. So using their cell phone flashlights, they'll go downstairs and they eventually come to one of the floors that the card says to go to. There's a keypad and they punch in the code to go in there and they are introduced to the person who turned them into a vampire. The vampire then would explain, hey, you know, I turned you all because I needed some new blood. We were just recently raided. I needed to continue our line. I need your help. I'm sorry I turned you without telling you. Usually this is something that is a very intimate process, but I needed to continue my line. It would start kind of small, like they wouldn't go out just 
turning people. That's how you get noticed, especially if you were have been targeted to be eradicated. You would want to rebuild, but you'd want to rebuild in another location and then it'd be a very social game that way. I mean, Vampires the Masquerade is a very social game. It's actually one of the reasons why tabletop role-playing games are like they are today. All right, that's about as much as I'm going to talk about vampires. I've been talking about them for hours and I've had to edit and do all that. So I hope you enjoyed this bonus episode. I wanted to keep it short so it wasn't too crazy, but I did all the outro stuff for the main episode. So thank you all for listening and I'll catch y'all later. Oh, and enjoy the outtakes. Fuck this goddamn name. God, I'm losing my mind. Really? Y'all remember it. Really? Y'all remember that? Oh, crap. Look at that name. Oh, this is almost as bad as the first one. This name is like all A's and N's. I'm regretting all of my decisions covering this stupid creature. Hey, I think I... Is that it? No. No, that can't be it.